0: Hello and welcome to the Creative Tech Podcast, where we discuss how technology can help you to be more creative. This podcast is made by the National Centre for Creativity, enabled by AI, which is a bit of a mouthful, so we call it CIBAE for short. It's presented by the director of Seabay, Professor Neil Maiden. Neil, who's in the studio today?
1: Today, I'm very pleased to be able to welcome our podcast guest, Richard Chataway. Richard heads up an international business consultancy called BVA Nudge Unit, whose job is to help businesses and governments to become more successful. He uses his understanding of human behavioural psychology to come up with processes that compel positive change and successful business adaption. Richard led the development of one of the world's most successful stop-smoking apps, My Quit Buddy, still one of the iPhone's top 10 rated stop-smoking apps, seven years after it launched. And last year, he published his first book, The Behaviour Business, How to Apply Behavioural Science for Business Success. Richard is one of the most experienced practitioners of behavioural science communications in the UK and it's a real pleasure to welcome him here on our podcast today.
2: Thank you and and, uh, thanks very much for inviting me on to the the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So Richard, a favourite phrase of yours is sciencing the shit out of communication. So what do you mean by that?
2: I think movie fans might recognise that it's actually a phrase I've sort of stolen or paraphrased from the movie The Martian. Anyone who hasn't seen it is a film starring Matt Damon, It's about a NASA mission to Mars. There's an accident on the mission. The crew of the the ship, not unreasonably assume that Matt Damon's been killed by that accident, without giving away too many spoilers, and they leave. And he is left behind on Mars and has to fend for himself for for the several years before a rescue mission can get back to, to, to find him. And the thing is, you know, when I was writing my book and I was thinking about ways in which we can apply successfully apply behavioural science within business. I was looking for kind of metaphors for, for some of the ways in which businesses act or don't act uh, in terms of the application of behavioural science and, it, and to me it seemed a really good one because what happens in that scenario is Matt is left there but he doesn't kind of panic, he doesn't think about the futility of his situation, you know, he's a highly qualified, highly trained scientist, um, you know, he's been trained for this eventuality in, in a lot of ways by NASA what he does is he, he, is he goes about, you know, sciencing the shit out of the problem is the way he phrases it. And so to my mind, one of the things that I, I've addressed in my work and what I wanted to address in my book was why we don't science the shit out of communication enough? You know, why don't we apply the knowledge we now have about what triggers behaviour change in how we approach communication specifically, but, but more generally, I think, in terms of how we apply behavioural science. There's, there's too much we're doing in business, which ignores the latest evidence on what drives people's behaviour, you know, we've learned more in the last 50 years about behaviour change than we probably did in the previous 5000. There's lots of new knowledge out there that's just not being successfully applied. Mm -hmm. The most effective way to do that is scientifically, to apply it in a scientific way, to use that existing evidence base, to conduct experiments, test and learn and adapt accordingly. So that's what I mean by science in the shit out of communication. It is taking that existing knowledge around what actually is effective and then applying that in a scientific fashion to find out what
1: works. So which, which scientific disciplines do you tend to draw on when you're talking about behaviour change? I use behavioural science
2: as a sort of catch-all, I guess, to cover behavioural economics. There's elements of, of neuroscience we'll occasionally draw on in what we do, but, but really it's anything that informs and helps us gain an understanding of what actually you know, influences behaviour and how to best influence behaviour. So sometimes, you know, there's elements of anthropology, which is very helpful, and, you know, more general social science disciplines, which uh, we all draw on to, to do that. But at its core, really, is the understanding of the, some of the non-conscious drivers of behaviour. So, you know, the thing that's most frequently ignored in terms of understanding what drives people's behaviour and how to influence behaviour is the understanding that a loss of our behaviour is non-conscious and non-rational not necessarily irrational all the time because there's usually some kind of you know rationale going on even if it's a spurious one or something that's a post-rationalization but there is something going on there that we can understand you know the the fact that it may a lot of behavior may be non-rational does not mean it's not systematic or predictable and that's what we're drawing on in what we do so you know to give an example you know I started working in this field about 15 years ago on anti-smoking communications and, you know, one of the things that really informed our work and one of the insights we took from social psychology, which really changed the way that we worked and was fundamental to my quit buddy that you mentioned in, in my introduction, was this understanding that, you know, simply telling people why smoking is bad and about the health consequences of smoking is effective up to a point. Everyone knows smoking cigarettes is bad for you, but yet there is a, still a, a sizable proportion of the population who still persist in smoking and when you ask them about it the vast majority anything between 80 and 90 percent of people generally say i wish i didn't smoke i wish i could quit but the reasons that they don't quit is it's highly addictive and you can get cravings for a cigarette at any time of day or night the, the insight behind my quit buddy was what's the one thing everyone has 24 hours a day within arm's reach because that's cravings can hit at any time of day or night it's your mobile phone so we need a mobile-based solution for that we didn't just create an app because it was not a channel to reach smokers. It was, this is the most effective way for people to get help whenever they need it at 3 a.m. if they've suddenly, you know, got a craving for it, right? And that's what proved, why it proved to be so successful. The value and benefit of taking a behaviourally informed approach is is demonstrated by that and many other projects that, that worked on subsequently that, you know, it's just more effective if you can understand some of these non-rational providers'
1: behaviour. Fascinating. So we're interested in creativity and you head up the the BVA Nudge Unit and there are tools to help people be creative. Do you think we can nudge people to be more creative in their everyday activities? Yeah, it's
2: a very interesting um, question. I do genuinely think so. One of the challenges that we face in our work at BVA Nudge Unit is is the perception that having a focus on science is antithetical to having a, a focus on creativity. And the reality is, is the solutions that we develop, there is a really key component to that, which is creativity. Going back to that point about these biases and heuristics that we know people have that guide their decision-making on a daily basis, there's over 200 of those that have been identified in research. There's a huge number of biases and heuristics to choose from. Understanding which are the ones that are going to be effective in a particular context is really important. To identify what is going to create an intervention to determine what to test, requires a huge amount of creativity. And in fact, we have a co-creation process we call Nudge Labs, which is all about creative thinking and, and co-creation. For example, we did a, a nudge lab with a railway company a couple of years ago about passenger behavior. And not only did we have key clients for the railway company in the room, as well as our team, we also had train drivers, conductors, station staff, because, you know, one, they're dealing with these issues every day. Two, they don't really get the opportunity to come and be creative in that way. You know, their jobs are engineering based. And, and if they're a train driver, for example, they're very strict rules for good reason that they have to operate with it. So the opportunity for them to be more creatively it was something they're very excited about. But most importantly, you know, they have, in some cases, decades of experience of observing these behaviours from passengers. That's a way in which, in the work that we do, we nudge people into being creative. We you know, give them the insights, we give them the tools, and in that forum, we say, right, generate ideas. And we typically come out of those sessions with hundreds of ideas. And then we have a, a kind of conversion thinking process where we, where we get down to the ones we think are going to be most effective. And, and that's one way in which we're urging people to be creative. And I think there's lots of great evidence and studies around the ways and the contexts can facilitate or limit creativity and, and creative thinking we've done a number of projects around what we call nudge management so these are looking at behaviours within organisations often the interventions that we develop are around encouraging certain behaviours and creativity is very much one of those Um, so the short answer is absolutely
1: there is there is a concept that's been studied quite a lot in psychology research around creative self-belief that people have potentially too creative but they don't see themselves as creative or they don't Mm. see train driving as creative Mm. and that's often inhibitor. do you do you have a view of how nudge practices could help people to be more creative every day in a small Mm. way which is very much a focus of our center
2: yeah yeah absolutely one thing that for me is a really important aspect of that and something I wrote about in my book actually is is psychological safety and sciencing the shit out of problems and having the license to do that and feeling that you have the freedom and the autonomy to be able to test things and try things out. Psychological safety is obviously a really important concept within that. And there are nudges that you could employ to encourage greater psychological safety. Things like challenging people to make a suggestion for a new you know, improvement to a particular process. We know from behavioral science, that defaults are very powerful. So if you set something as a, as a default, um, that our innate tendency towards inertia means that we will go along with that. So if you were to make it a mandatory, for example, that, that that was part of everyone's KPIs was, you know, those kind of nudges in those contexts are not often considered. If you change those defaults around someone's role and their perception of the role and that they have the psychological safety and the autonomy to be able to be creative then the understanding that behavior precedes attitudinal change rather than the other way around. And, um, you know, we, we, we have a tendency to think of we need to change people's attitudes towards a particular issue for their behavior to
1: follow. And and that's not necessarily true. Fascinating. Well, we can take some of these ideas, I think, of psychological safety and inertia into some of our design projects. So, so thank you. Um, Thinking more about technology, uh, according to a 2017 Gallup State of the Global Workplace report, 75% of workers are disengaged from their work. Do you think that creativity and tech could help reverse this? And if so, how?
2: Yes. um, uh, Well, I I mean, it's a shocking stat, isn't it? Um, And, and, you know, one wonders as well how much that's changed over the last two years um, as a result of, you know, the the conditions we're working under in COVID. I, I, there's a great quote from from John Amici I, I saw the other day. He was a leadership expert and um, former NBA player. And he said, um, you know, there's a big difference between working from home and working from home in a pandemic. You know, when we think about engagement with work, the circumstances we've been living under for the last two years, the impact that that had is significant. So, you know, if we're starting from that low base already, it's only going to get uh, worse. Rory Sutherland, who wrote the forwards, to my book, says test counterintuitive things because your competitors won't. In a business context, if you can come up with something that's counterintuitive, it gives you an advantage. So you should be looking at non-rational things and creativity is required to come up with non-rational things. Creativity is a fundamental of, of developing something that's counterintuitive or non-instinctive. In terms of disengagement, we know that psychological safety is really important in terms of motivating people Um, autonomy is really important in terms of of motivating people the feeling that your work matters to some degree and that you have the ability to shape that is really important and so providing the tools and the environments for people to be creative in that way is a great way to to drive that engagement technology has obviously been hugely important and fundamental to a lot of us to to maintain engagement literally with our colleagues we're not able to all be in the same physical environment you know i'm part of a global company and this week was the first time that i'd seen my uk colleagues for over a year physically and that what that's meant is that i've spent as much time talking to and engaging with my global colleagues as my uk-based colleagues and so that perception that i have of being part of a global business and working with my global colleagues Has definitely changed as a result of that, which is a positive thing. And that's been entirely facilitated by technology, by you know, video technology like what we're using right now. So there is definitely the opportunity for technology to create those greater engagements. What we know is there obviously too much reliance on technology or too much reliance on the wrong technology has can have a negative impact. And and some of the, the recent studies that have come out about, for example, Zoom and and why the concept of Zoom fatigue exists are really fascinating. We just don't like it staring at our faces too long. We do a lot of work uh, around optimizing communications using behavioral techniques. There's huge amounts that can be done to make sure that communication tools are working effectively and driving the right behaviors. The way I'll summarize it is how you say something as important as what you say. So when you're writing an email to someone if you want to elicit a response, and you want them to behave in a certain way, you need to think about the way you're framing that information. Mm-hmm.
0: Think
2: about them as the recipient rather than you as exactly. transmit. Yeah, and what you want to say. And so, you know, it's
1: that combination of the medium and the message is, is really critical. Okay, fascinating. So at Seabay, our purpose is to build tech that supports and inspires people to be their so most creative cells, problem-solving, collaborating, and interacting daily. We're phrasing this as creativity on demand. So, in this regular feature, I've got three questions to test your creativity on demand—quite quick fire. The first is: What is the single most important thing you require in order to be creative every day?
2: Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a really good question, and actually, just asking the question <laughs> you prompted me to consider <laughs> in a lot of way. Because um, I guess this is one thing I learned from writing a book in particular, which is, you know, a creative endeavour, although a business book obviously is, is writing a novel, and, and I would imagine, I've never having written a novel. But, you know, it does require a creativity that it's space, really, and and not, you know, and that's both time and, and a physical space to do it. So, you know, I, I saw a great talk last week by John Cleese. I'm sure you're aware of a lot of his his previous work around creativity. And one thing that really struck a chord from what he was saying was that, you know, if you sit down to write something, or he used to find when he sat down to write a book or a sketch or, or whatever it might be, the first few hours he'd write very little and find that it was a real struggle. And then it would often be he'd have to walk away from it, do something else completely different. And then he would be standing in the garden and then suddenly the idea would hit him. And this is where behavioral science is really useful, and, and has informed my own approach to creativity. You realise that when you're doing one task, your brain is also thinking about any number of other things, or is processing information. And I think it's Richard Thaler, who is one of the co-authors of, uh, of Nudge, who, who says you should always sleep on an important decision. And the reason for that is that if you if you make an important decision quickly then you're largely engaging your system one processes Mm -hmm. and your biases and heuristics and as we know from our work they can often lead to to suboptimal outcomes if you sleep sleep on an important decision there's a whole load of processing you'll be doing without being consciously aware of it such that in the morning you've moved out of the more emotional state you might be the previous day and you're able to make a much more rational decision Mm -hmm. and in the same way with creativity there's a whole load of information that's being processed at a subconscious level that you're not aware of. And so if you come back to a problem that needs creative problem solving, you need to create space to do that. So when I wrote a book, going back to that, in essence, I had to write it at weekends, which, you know, didn't make me very popular with my wife, but it was the only way I could do it because of having spent a day of my everyday work, One, there was just mental fatigue that meant that sitting down to do a creative endeavour just wasn't really practical, uh, or wasn't, you know, I would have just sat there staring at the screen for three hours, most likely. And Mm -hmm. during the week, my brain would be thinking about ideas for the book, or, you know, would be thinking about concepts. And then when I came to sit down at the weekend, I was able to do that. So, It's all about finding time
1: to incubate, really, isn't it? That's that's exactly, yeah, that's the succinct way of putting it. Right. Yeah. So, second question: If you could create any app that could do anything real or imaginary, what would it be? Well, I think linking into
2: that, I think if there was a, you know, if you could create an app which could, in some way, tell you how that non-conscious processing was happening and when. <laughs> if you're like thinking about it, you know, you know, like a loading bar where instance. Mm-hmm. Complete or whatever. If you were if there's some way where you could be made aware of, oh, you've you know you completed seventy five percent of the processing around this particular this thought issue you're working on, then that would be the holy grail, really, because then you know you know I think in the work that we do, because this is often the project work that we do, we're always thinking about productivity, but not in a very dare I say a kind of management consultancy style. Mm-hmm you know, utilisation rates and that kind of thing. We think a lot about when is the right time and the right place to do certain tasks, because that's, we know that those contexts are hugely important in terms of people's behaviour. So I'm always thinking about, okay, right, you know, I've got this window of time. What is the task I can complete with this window between two Zoom calls, for example? What's the task I can complete in that time? And obviously, you know, there are deadlines and some things are more urgent than others that you have to take into account. But but that's the way I think about creativity. So, you know, any apps that help with that, one which can tell me when that non-conscious processing is done.
1: There's certainly some kind of work with science fiction writers to explore an idea with designers <laughs> are like that. And third question, if you could remove one thing from the world in order to make humans or yourself more creative, what would you bin? Well, this is so this
2: is something I'm going to steal from someone else but Daniel Kahneman who is a Nobel Prize winner and and sort of I guess the founding father of behavioral economics to some degree he says if he had a magic wand the thing that he would remove is overconfidence and I really think that's a fantastic summation and I think what a lot of issues particularly in the business world we face are which is there's a lot of misconceptions there's a lot of presumptions that people make particularly about behavior which is largely based on overconfidence and in fact you know if you are willing to embrace those concepts of you know psychological safety and the willingness to test and learn you you can't be overconfident really because what you're continually doing is well you know we don't know the answer to this but let's find out and that's an anathema to overconfidence and, and we tend to I think Give more credence to and over and promote <laughs> people who, who project confidence over competence perhaps would be a way i put it and and i think that's the one thing i would be in. fantastic thank you what's next for you then richard well you kindly mentioned my book and, and a podcast which is also called the behavior business i've just started the second season of that so the first season was interviews with the experts i consulted for writing my book so it isn't just what I think there's about 25 experts I spoke to to inform my book and the second season I've kind of taken a slightly different angle which is I'm interviewing other authors of books either about or relevant to the world of behavioral science to get their kind of perspective because I wrote my book or I started writing it in 2018 it came out a year ago and, and you know quite a lot's happened since then <laughs> but also in the, in the behavioral science world So I'm looking to build, you know, get the latest insights from those people. So I've done a couple of interviews with Melina Palmer, who's a a brilliant behavioral science consultant and academic. She lectures in in the US, predominantly on marketing and customer behavior. And then Andy Nairn, who is one of the kind of world's leading advertising planners and strategists. I've known Andy for a a long time. When I was working on tobacco, anti-smoking, he was the strategist working at the advertising agency for us. He's a brilliant guy. He's got a new book that's just come out called Go Luck Yourself, amusingly, <laughs> uh, which is a brilliant book um, and sort of summation of many years of wisdom from him. So, yeah, so I'm working on that podcast. As you mentioned, I'm, I'm CEO of BVA Nudge Unit. We are working with uh, a wide range of clients and the business is, is growing fast, which is great um, in, a, in a variety of different sectors. And, and within BVA Nudge Unit as well, we're producing quite a lot of our own, we just produced our own book, actually, that came out last week which has articles by myself, but as well as my colleagues from across the global team. And um, I'm working with a variety of organisations from the likes of the UN to major global brands like um, Kellogg's and HSBC, as well as NGOs like Save the Children and others. So work keeps me pretty busy, but, <laughs> but I'm trying to, um, to keep the
1: irons in other the fires as well. Fantastic. So Richard's book, The Behaviour Business, How to Apply Behavioural Science for Business Success. It's fascinating. We've, we've taken a look at it. It's well worth a read. And I should add that Richard has very generously shared a discount code with us. You can get 25% off directly at the publisher's website using the code BB2021. That's harrimanhouse.com forward slash behaviour business and use the code bb 2021 for the 25% discount. So, thank you for talking to us, Richard. We hope that you will take the time out uh, to like the podcast and leave a review. It really does make a difference to us. You can also follow us on Twitter uh, at cbay or on LinkedIn at the Creativity Enabled by AI page. So, thank you again, Richard. Fascinating talking to you. Some insights that I'll certainly be taking into our work, and um, looking forward to also listening to your podcast. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Hold
0: up.